the Farm Advisory Service podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government. Welcome along to this Farm Advisory Service podcast, focusing on the Lanarkshire Soil Nutrient Network Farm. My name is Jennifer Struthers and I'm a consultant with SAC Consulting. We're joined today by Mark Tripney from iSoils. Hi, Mark. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you, Jennifer. Thanks for inviting me along. Could you just give us a little bit of an introduction about yourself, your role and what your general job is at the moment? Yeah, my background is actually farm management. I spent quite a, a number of years managing um, cows and corn is probably the best way to describe it uh, and uh, got a real interest in soils when I was farm managing, so managed with uh, with much more detailed soil analysis. Set out as a farm consultant some 15, nearly 16 years ago uh, with the desire to do more work in soils and to get people to understand soil analysis better. So... I spend a lot of my time um, talking to farmers, growers, agronomists, fertilizer trade on how nutrients fit in and encouraging people generally to take a more detailed look at soils rather than to uh, use the basic soil analysis, which is, um, to be quite honest, designed for selling fertilizer. So what are you covering all of the UK or what sort of areas do you cover? Yeah, I mean, uh, some of my roles, I, I do end up covering a large proportion of the UK. Um, I mean, I, ha- I had lived, have lived in the uh, the northwest for quite a while, but now uh, reside in, in Scotland. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of work that can be done um, remotely as well, because it's, I do like to get out into the field, um, uh, you know, and, and speak to farmers uh, wherever I am in the country. Yep, and that's been a bit of an issue this year, but um, it's, uh, it's all we can do. Um, in terms of, I thought I would give you a little bit of background about the project in terms of what we were doing with the Soil Nutrient Network. So this is sort of focusing on upland farms in the Dunedin Valley, which is located just between Crawford John and Sanker. Um, the area was chosen as it's a very typical upland beef and sheep farm area. Um, it's It's a sort of, it's a valley bottom but it's rising to the top of the hill um, we've got the odd forage crop growing there's the odd field of barley growing um, but really typically it's it's grassland it's um, one sort of bulky crop of silage it's very extensive um, they're limited in the areas you know not every field's plowable some of it's steep some of it's quite stony um, but I suppose you know, we're focusing on that area but I would say it's, it's fairly typical of a, an upland area um, and we were just focusing in on some of the the challenges and issues in terms of soil and nutrient management in that sort of area. So um, one of the things we did as part of the project obviously was, was soil sample um, the, the farms that were taking part um, and again as I would say probably typically for what we're finding in upland farms when we soil sampled we've got a, an average ph of about 5.6 um for the for the grassland fields um generally low phosphates again which is not unusual for the the geographical area or those types of farms potassium generally within target although you could very easily start to pick out the silage fields which haven't had any slurry 
um, you know, where there's an issue with replacing offtake and things. Uh, and magnesiums were sort of moderate to high. So I thought liming is obviously a big, a big issue here. Um, and we thought we could just go through today sort of some of the the ways you would improve your pH, some of the, the things to consider and some of the sort of frequently asked questions from farmers. So I suppose um, some of these fields have not been sampled in maybe 10, 15 years. So I suppose, what would you be saying? How often in a sort of grassland upland situation like this, how often should we be soil sampling? Well, I think the key there is to use the data that you've found already. And um, that data suggests... Uh, as you mentioned, that you know things have not been done for many, many years, and there's been a tendency within, particularly the sector you're talking about, to not sample and to think, oh, we don't put much on, so we don't need to do much. Um, a total misconception, because basically you've ended up with a soil that's out of balance, and I'm not just talking pH here. Um, so yeah, I am talking pH, but not just about liming; it's about the balance of all the. Um, various nutrients so the problem we've we're faced with now is that you've got a low ph and just because you apply lime um whether it's calcium or magnesium lime in the next you know few months to hopefully correct it it's no point leaving it for another five years just because you've limed it you, know, you need to be testing to see again very quickly to see whether actually what you've uh, used as a remediation is actually working once you get to a decent balanced soil, you can actually lengthen out uh, the testing regime. Uh, unfortunately, I think, you know, we've slipped into this, I don't need to test very frequently because I did, you know, I put some, uh, some product on two years ago and then all of a sudden people forget how long they ago they actually did it. They don't prioritise it. Lime in general, has a payback of somewhere between four to one and seven to one. So anytime I hear people say, I can't afford to lime this year, I just, I kind of... Throw your hands up in despair. <laughs> exactly. It's it's the one of the most basic elements of uh, soil remediation that has been used since Roman times. You know, it is not a new concept and people rushing after new concepts and spending lots of money on uh, boluses and extra micronutrients when actually if they got the soil working, they might actually be allowing some of these nutrients to be taken up by the grass and therefore reduce uh, costs elsewhere within the business. Yeah, de definitely. Yeah. And I think that's definitely something I hear as a consultant um, a lot or, you know, it's excuses almost it's, it's too expensive it's difficult I, I don't have anywhere to tip a lorry those kind of things but as you say when the payback is as good as that you know there shouldn't be those excuses well they're not they're not getting that return in the bank are they no no definitely not <laughs> definitely not um so for, for that sort of upland grassland situation um what sort of ph should they be targeting to get to if you're you know we're sitting at 5.6 what should we be targeting to get to well assuming it's a mineral soil and not a peat soil uh, yeah. now, you know this is where you need to know the soils that we're talking about um but we'll work on a mineral soil for assuming the region you're in in primarily all, all ph is want to be above six um i would 
particularly, you know, I would be targeting 6.3. There is a tendency within the industry to say, oh, well, it's at 5.8, it's nearly 6. No, it's, you know, it's not. The reality is that any pH below 6, 48% of the phosphorus is locked up. So you mentioned low phosphorus early on. A good way of uh, remediating low phosphorus is actually putting lime on because you make the phosphorus much more available. So, you know, there's a massive benefit there. Anybody who's putting, um, in, in my book, uh, fertilizer use uh, with P and K, well, N, N and P in it should be banned um, below a pH of six on a mineral soil. Yeah, effectively, because so much of that is just being wasted. Yes, yeah. And when we start looking at, you know, fertilizer use and nutrient use efficiency, it just improves when we get over a pH of six. At a pH of 5.9, you're losing 11% of your nitrogen, let alone 48% of the phosphorus that's, you know, locked up. Uh, it really does question, you know, the, uh, the use of some, particularly some of the compound fertilizers that we have, have kind of got into the system, the 201010s and the 2555s and similar ilk, you know, uh, are wasted on a, a lot of people. They're, they're, they're throwing, you know, they're throwing money away. And as you say, it's a, it's a, it's a favourite and it's, a, it's quite a, well, we always put 201010 on, so we'll continue to keep putting 201010 on. Uh, that's, that's quite a common common one i would say well well one of the worrying things about 2010 10 is 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 that it's got 15 percent filler in it so you're not even buying a complete fertilizer so if, if you're happy to be paying you know for the for the um uh, two to four mil grit that's in you know a blended 2010 10 well that's fine um but i wouldn't be no, definitely not. And I think, as you, you know, as you're mentioning with these figures of the, the wastage and, and phosphate getting locked up and nitrogen not getting utilised, this is part of the Soil Nutrient Network is looking at the environmental and the climate implications because all of these things are going to be, become so much more important. But also, you know, are you wasting money? And that's usually the most important thing to a farmer. And, and all these things go hand in hand. They do go hand in hand, and I think this, you know, this comes down to the um, the value that farmers put on soil tests. And unfortunately, farmers have undervalued soil tests for years and years. And I think there's a number of reasons for it. Um, uh, but I think the prime primary reason is um, that you know a lot of them got done free, and farmers still kind of expect them free when they're very very cheap. Um, but it's it's the import it's the interpretation that's key. Um, yep. The appropriate fertilizer, and not just being sold what you bought last year because the man's ran, rang you up and you're in a rush and you say, oh yeah, just put me down for 20, ton, 20 tons of what I had last year when it's yeah. actually totally inappropriate. Um, in terms of so if, we, if we're working through this as a, as a sort of process, so we've soiled, we've sampled now, we've, we know the pH, we know our p's and k's. Um, we know we're, we're targeting to six, so... Oh, above, above, above six. Above six, six yeah. Let's say a target of six, three. We'll, 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 line, we'll line to six, three. Okay. Getting the farmers got these results, one of the first things that they potentially look at is, well, how much lime am I going to need? But yeah. also what kind of lime? You know, so there's obviously options in terms of 
magnesium versus calcium and then we've got you know the prilled options and things so can you just kind of talk us through how you would go about comparing the different products and and what you see each of those or you know the role they have to play yeah i think the first thing we do is debunk the uh, the two the two ton per acre myth and um, standardization of uh, of lime applications the, what people forget is the two ton per acre actually came from a period between 1939 and 1976, when a grant of 60% was available for two ton every five years. Thus, we've got this myth and parlance within the industry that that's you know what that, that's what should go on every time, um, and unfortunately, the spreading trade don't help that, and that because they like to divide everything into. 20 tonnes. Equal numbers. <laughs> so I'm very cynical about that because it, it's not good science in, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, that people need to do the calculation of what lime they might need. And it's not always, you know, it's not always a standard figure. It varies depending on soil type. Um, and uh, actually, you know, if it's grassland or arable, grassland and arable are different rates. Uh, to raise pH because you're looking at a different depth of soil, 150 millimetres compared to 200 millimetres for arable, you're trying to influence in general. The interesting point there is if you're actually, I know the upland areas might not always be ploughing, but if they're ploughing to a deeper depth of 10 inches, uh, with, you know, 250 mil, potentially you need 25% more lime. So, you know, you need to understand how much soil you're moving and what depth you're trying to affect. The important thing to remember on lime is that there has been regulations in place since 1991. 1991 fertilizer regs do state three grades of agricultural lime, ground lime, screened lime, and coarse screened lime. Now, the majority of lime that's available in the UK at the moment is screened lime. There is very, very little ground limestone available in the UK. That is fact. I've done samples from, uh, I think it's uh, 30 samples now. Um, Only three of those samples were actually uh, true ground limestone out of the 30 across the UK. Um, In fact, about 13 of them weren't legally eligible to be sold as ag lime. So the Agricultural Lime Association has put in place uh, a system called a, a standard called AQS, Ag Lime Quality Standard. Now, all reputable quarries that are um, operating um, uh, members of the Ag Lime Association have this standard, um, have their lime analysed every year from any supplying quarry. Now, this states uh, a couple of key um, criteria within it. A new concept to a lot of people, which is reactivity. Uh, it then states neutralizing value, the granulometry, i.e. how fine everything is ground or screened, and then the calcium and magnesium contents. Now, all quarries that are operating to this standard should be able to supply a, an, an annual analysis to uh, the farmer or the contractor uh, lifting lime from their quarries. One interesting point to to mention on that is all granular limes supplied in the UK at the moment are to AQS standard as well, because all those um, granular limes are 
are, are made from fine limestone powder. So going back to what is on AQS, the term reactivity is, is, um, is again a lab measurement, as is NV. But the point with reactivity, the, the ranges I've seen on the tests that I've done on reactivity are between 10% and 100%. Quite a, quite a variation. <laughs> Massive variation. And the reactivity is the key. And the, the reactivity is linked to how finely ground the material is. People get hung up on neutralizing value. And I have to say that um, RB209 and some of the Scottish colleges literature doesn't help there either because there is an assumption that everything is ground limestone when from the figures that I've told you it patently isn't. Um, so the finer the grind, the higher the reactivity. I could sell you a solid block of limestone, um, calcium carbonate, a one meter, a one meter block, useful for blocking your gateways, it would still have an envy of 54. Yep. It would have a reactivity of zero, or I send, send you, sell you one cube of the same material ground to 150 microns. It will have a reactivity of 100%, but it's still got an NV of 54. So don't buy on NV alone is the point. Um, you need to know how finely ground, and if it's a, an AQS standard, it will also quote you a reactivity. Um, a good ground limestone is somewhere in the region of 65% um, reactivity. That's because it meets the standard of 40% um, being 150 microns or less. That's the really fine powder that unfortunately sometimes blows onto your neighbor. But that's the bit that actually works in the lime, not the big bits. The, the, the big lumps, people say, oh, well, you're, you're saving up for the future. Well, you're not actually. Um, the reason lime breaks down, if you're liming a field at 5.2, yes, the, the lumps might break down. But if you're trying to maintain a pH in the target area, which is what we need to do, you know, a pH of 6.3 is just not going to break those big lumps down. There is not the acidity there to break the, the big lumps down. And, and is there, the reactivity you're talking about, is that figure available for granular lime as well? And how does that impact when you've obviously pushed that fine dust back into a bigger lump? Well, the, all, the, all the granules are formed uh, using, um, you know, a binder. And those, in, in all cases, those binders are organic binders as well. So they're, they're usually a form of calcium lignus sulfate. So it's water-soluble. So those, the fine particles within those granules are 100% reactive. Um, so you get, you know, very rapid pH lift. And, you know, once you've, once you've got your pH in a good range, they are ideal for topping up because we've still got this principle. Again, I go back to what we were saying about the original grant. We've got this theory that we should only lime once every five years. And I was told by a farmer that it was okay to let the pH drop to 5.8. That's absolute rubbish. Uh, there is no reason to let the pH drop to 5.8. If you want the lockup of phosphorus and micronutrients, loss of nitrogen, lower yields, well, fine. But for me, that's not uh, you know farming in a sustainable 
way. Um, it's not looking at you know our impact on on the environment. It's not encouraging uh, a field to be uh, you know biologically active. Um, it's it's um, not the best management pH drop under six. Yeah. So in terms of um, you know you kind of mentioned there about the prill or granular lime being for sort of maintenance, if we're talking about these fields, which we've got at 5.6, we're trying to get above six, which is quite a way off. Yeah. Would we be going for um, real lime, you know, your your screened lime, your um, ground limestone rather than the prilled lime? Yeah, I mean, I, I have to challenge your use of the real lime, the real lime word there, because granite... Inverted <laughs> commas, it doesn't work in a podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah, granular lime is is genuine uh, Derbyshire or wherever it's pulled from. You know, some's made in Ireland, I appreciate, but it is, it is all authentic, um, uh, either calcium or magnesium carbonate. Um, yeah, I mean, if you're working from a, a very low pH, you know, bulk lime works extremely well, um, as long as it's of good quality. You know, you want to be aiming at, for ground limestone acquisition. As an industry, as uh, industry of users, we need to be asking for this quality. And if all you're doing is buying on price, all you're doing is aff affecting your, you know, the performance of your fields. So, uh, I mean, in the what you we need to be doing with the um the lime is working a calculation so if we're looking at um a field uh, that we're going to lime to a target of 6.3 we use the 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 target ph minus minus the actual so 6.3 minus 5.6 gives us a figure of 0.7 we then times that by the lime factor and that can vary depending on the soil type um, and uh, and the depth, but if we're using it for grassland, we use a, a lime factor of five, and that gives us a, a rate of three point five tons per hectare requirement. So it's perhaps not as high as some people might think. It's not the two ton to the acre. Uh, you know, it's actually you know it's actually less at that. You know, three point the three point five has given us about one and a half tons to the acre of true ground limestone. That's what I'm going to emphasise. It, it's a lot of the recommendations are all based on true ground limestone. If you're going to use screened limestone, you're going to have to use more product to get the same effect because the granulometry is not as good, the reactivity is lower, and you're not going to get the pH boost. The problem comes with the access of some of the machinery, uh, particularly to smaller paddocks and through narrower gateways and in wetter conditions and timing, etc., which is where you know the granular limes work extremely well. And just topping up on a regular basis. I mean, I've got farmers. I know farmers now who are, you know, are putting on an annual basis anywhere between 125 and 250 kilos a hectare. Of granular lime because they can get on and do it themselves and they're getting the forage improvements particularly on cutting fields and but they're also seeing improvements in um, grazing fields as well and getting it just keeping it topped up and keeping the rhizosphere operating i.e the root zone the growth zone uh, keeping that stimulated the phosphorus available 
you know, we'll get better productivity. So go back to just the, the granular again. I've heard that used as a sort of, can, can be used as a sort of fire brigade treatment or to treat hot spots. Arable people, as you say, might use it for a, a small hot spot in a field. I've also heard of situations where when people have got a big hill to climb in terms of a very low pH, um, that there's a place for using prilled lime as the sort of fire brigade get on now, hopefully get a quick boost and then follow with um, your ground lime later. Is, is that is there truth in that or is that just, you know, rural myth? <laughs> um, no, I mean, you can use it in a... The granular lime, as, we, as you know, you can just buy a couple of 600 kilo bags and you, you can bob it on. Um, yeah, I know of people who, who've got sandy knolls within fields who, you know, regularly go through uh, and top up on those areas, um, particularly in arable fields. Uh, yes, you know, if we know it's a low pH, as I said earlier, it's sometimes a challenge to get a contractor onto farm um, to actually get them to do it in the first place and then generally only come when they want to. So if you really want to get going, um, you know, the point being is if you're considering putting fertilizer on and it's a really low pH, I would bin the fertilizer and just get on with some lime. You know, you are going to get more response out of the, the lime, whether it's granular or bulk, than you will out of the fertilizer. Yep. Good. So I think we'll fairly cover that in terms of your options there and how we should assess that. But what about when it comes to whether you're going to use magnesium or calcium lime? Well, this is where accurate interpretation needs to take place. And there's a lot of rubbish talked about high mag. Um, and, you know, some of it's not really very helpful to the industry. Some of it is down to the way the, um, the soil results are displayed um, and the interpretation from that. You know, quite often a... Uh, a, a magnesium index of three is is said to be high. Now, it's the same with any of these indices. You need to understand at what end of the indice you are. Now, you know, an index of three for magnesium is kind of from 100 to 185 parts per million. You could be sh short of magnesium if you're at an index three and you're at 104 parts per million but you're unlikely to be short of magnesium if you're 182 parts per million. So you need to understand, don't just use the indices, get these soil results interpret, interpreted properly. And no disrespect, but most farmers do not know how to properly interpret um, soil results. And this comes from years of experience of doing it for farmers. They've got an eye of indices, but... In, ter in terms of the interpretations and the balance between these nutrients. What we also have to remember that is that pH is not just uh, the function of, uh, of calcium, the pH remediation, I should say. You know, pH is actually the measure of hydrogen ions. And there are four elements, key elements, that uh, affect uh, pH in the base saturation. They're calcium, magnesium, potassium, and sodium. So in quite a lot of cases in livestock areas, we have a situation where we have an excess of potassium, um, a very high indice of potassium. It could be 300, even 400 parts per million I've seen on soil results this week. The pH looks okay, but 
no measurement has been done of calcium because they've done a basic soil analysis and that field can still be short of calcium. Um, same can be true with magnesium, but magnesium in a lot of cases is, is beginning to be a, a nutrient that is short. So you need good interpretation of your soil results to understand whether you need um, calcium lime or magnesium lime. And it might be a case that you need magnesium lime once in a while, whereas generally it's going to be calcium. But one thing you can say is the sandier the land, the more likely you are uh, to need mag lime. Um, because uh, sandy land just doesn't hold on to nutrient the same way that heavier land does. So yeah. it, it, is, it is interpretation, but you need to understand that the, there is a balance between those four major cations, calcium, magnesium, potassium, and sodium. And one of them can be dominating, um, dominating the uh, base saturation of the soil and therefore the pH. This is why doing better soil analysis is key. No good just doing the PK mag pH anymore because of what has happened over the last 30, 40, even 60 years with fertilizers. Uh, we have altered the balances within the soil and in some cases damaged them quite significantly. And we need to understand um, those balances in the soil to understand the type of fertilizer that we should be using, the type of lime and the rate to, to actually rebalance the soil. So when you say you would go over and above the what we would call a routine analysis, then what other things would you be adding on over and above the pH, pK, magnesium, calcium, obviously? Calcium and, then, and sodium. So you've got a... Sodium. Um, I, I, would, I would also do a CEC measurement on every field, a cation exchange capacity, because then we can work out a proper base saturation and understand which is the dominant element within the key four. Um, I, I would also look at micronutrients as well. You know, you can get broad spectrum soil analysis done very, very cheaply now. Um, uh, it is money well spent because, you know, we're not only looking at the, the health of the, um, of the soil, we're looking at how it produces a crop, what the green stuff is, and then, how that affects um, uh, the livestock as well. And there's significant effects that we can have or improvements we can have on livestock if we get um, soil balances right, soil aeration right, soil biology corrected, um, you will see a benefit. Yeah, and as you say, people are probably more tempted to fix the, you know, they'll, they'll spend money on boluses or, you know, mineral drenches and things, but there's, you know, taking it right back, there's, opportunities to stop that before it happens yeah definitely definitely um so i think we'll probably we've decided based on that we can we can make an, a judgment of what we're what we're buying what we're putting on how much we're putting on so in terms of application if we're, if we're talking about this upland grassland situation that's unlikely to be ploughed you know most of these fields that are sampled are unlikely to have been ploughed recently and some of them just won't be suitable for ploughing. What time of year should we be thinking about applying lime? Or is it just a case of get on with it now? Well, it is a case of getting it on with it. We're very good at looking for excuses not to do anything. 
And, you know, I appreciate there's weather weather restrictions. You know, as a farm manager, as I mentioned at the beginning, I, you know, lived with it as everybody else has done. Um, but, you know, just don't use, you know, the excuses. It's don't leave it for another year and then put fertilizer on. If the lime contractor can't arrive, you know, put some granular lime on and get the soil boosted, get it started, um, you know, moving in the spring. You know, for example, in the spring, when if, if we're looking at sheep, for example, you know, actually waking up the soil with a bit of lime uh, before lambing is, is going to be no bad thing because it's potentially going to, you know, see you through uh, that period um, when, the, you know, there might not be a lot of grass. Um, so, you know, it, it, it wants to be on, uh, you know, when you, can, when you can fit it in. Don't look yeah. excuses is the key. <laughs> No, no, just when conditions allow, um, get it on. So, but yeah. One of the things, again, I've heard as probably maybe cited as an excuse would be about, particularly in these grassland fields, it's, it's probably, it's, it's easy to understand you should be putting lime on when you're ploughing um, and it's, it's almost easy to, to book that in because you've got a process, you've got the ploughman coming, you've got the cedar coming. Um, but in terms of these grassland fields that are unlikely to be ploughed, what about... With livestock in it, is there a is there a time limit we should be leaving between spreading lime and putting the livestock back in? Is there any risks from that, or can we just spread it and put the sheep straight back in? Um, well, particularly with good quality ground limestone, where there's potentially a lot of dust, you know, it has the potential to coat the leaf, which is not would ne- would never be ideal. So you need to have it washed off the leaf well, so that. Again, that could, you know, that could be one week, it could be two weeks. Um, so, you know, you have to make a value judgment on that and there is no hard and fast rule there. I'd want to see it, you know, washed off onto the soil rather than coating the leaf because there is the potential for the, you know, the lime if ingested to, to then start causing imbalances uh, in terms of micronutrients in particular. Um, the beauty of the prilled lime, uh, granular lime, is that it's you know it's going to fall fall to the bottom. It's not going to coat the leaf. So I've I've no particular problems with livestock going back in very quickly, or even it being spread while they're in the field. Um, the only caveat that there would be if you're going on with very high rates of uh, granulated lime, and I'm talking six seven hundred kilos there, you know. If livestock going back in was a problem, you might have to split the rate slightly. Yep. So really, you know, as you say, if it's not coating the leaf, and you said they're about getting it washed off the leaf within two weeks in Lanarkshire, it's probably going to rain much, much quicker than two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> it sure is in Lanarkshire. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that'll be an issue. But yeah, so yeah. you say, if, if as long as you can see that the leaf is came off the leaf, we can get the, the cattle and sheep back in, which genuinely shouldn't be that long and if you can work yeah. out everyone's got fields that'll be sitting empty for some time um so no that's good um again going back a little bit we we talked about you know you said the two the two ton to the acre is this magical figure that's just really come off the back of a grant at some point but when we're looking at if we're looking at a, a really low ph we're bringing it up um how much would you put on in, in the one application of ground lime? You know, I've, is there too much you can put on at the one time? Should you be splitting it if it's, if it's you know, if you're really, really low trying to get above six? 
Yeah, I, I do think there's, there's probably merit in that because you want the, you know, you want the lime to be working in the soil as well. So ultimately, if if the problem with a pH of five point two is the soil is probably very compact as well, so you've probably got poor movement within the soil. So there's the, you know, there's the be a, there will be a, a consideration there to actually getting the calcium to improve the soil structure. So you need it time for it to work through the profile um, and help the flocculation soil structure create the pore space um, which is going to allow the calcium to move within the soil profile so you know you're looking potentially for example down at a ph of 5.2 you're probably going to need somewhere in the region of um, 5.67 tons uh, you know, maybe six tons of, of true ground limestone. So, you know, that's per hectare. Um, so you, I suppose you'd probably put it on at, you know, the higher do- a slightly higher dose initially and then top it up, um, you know, once the, once the soil's working a little bit better. Yep. And how, how long in that situation, how long do you think it would be to get that situation where the soil's working better? How, how long would you leave between the two applications? Well, I think you'd, you'd probably do it. You, I mean, you know, if conditions allow, you could probably do it either end of a season, you know, a spring and an autumn application, because ultimately you want it to get it to 6-3 or, or, you know, or a year apart. Um, yeah. That would probably um, be prudent. And again, another... Another thing that we, we see very often, it's, it's in this case, um, we've got low pH and low phosphate. You obviously talked about the link between the two and yep. increasing the pH is going to increase the phosphate. Um, but where, where we want to apply some phosphate as well as lime, I've heard in the past again that, you know, the issues with locking up that phosphate, if we were to put on, um, you know, some sort of... Uh, you know, not what am I trying to say here? Non-soluble phosphate um, and lime. You know, too close together. Is that an issue, or is that again something that's just come about from things in the past? Well, it, it's a little bit of an excuse in reality. The point, the point is going back to you know where we started. Um, you've got to get the pH over six to release the phosphorus that's already in the soil. So I would be—I would not be worrying about locking up phosphorus if you're a pH under six. You know what you're trying. It's already locked up. <laughs> you know you, it's already locked up anyway. So you know if you if you decide, well, I'm not going to lime. I, I need to put phosphorus on. All you're going to do is lock up fifty to sixty percent of any phosphorus you put on within a very very short space of time. So it's a pointless argument in in that respect. You've got to get the liming right first. The only area where you potentially are looking at lockup with um, with or increased lockup with calcium. Yes, calcium will lock up phosphorus. Don't forget it; it locks it up into bone. That's that's calcium phosphate. Yep. Um, if you start heading towards a pH of seven, yes, you're going to potentially lock more phosphorus up. But it doesn't sound as though that's the problem with a lot of the, the land we're talking about. It's more to do with the release of, of phosphorus from the soil that we want to actually achieve. Yeah. So again, you would just prioritise the lime and um, hopefully the rest, the rest will follow. Yep. 
Yep. So is it most in these upland areas, there's going to be, we're not talking arable, we're not ploughing every year, but there will be obviously reseeding going on and things. So if we're talking about, we've got a grass reseed or we've got a forage crop or whatever, um, lime on the seed bed or ploughing it down or what's the difference you know again if it's if it's coming down to timing and potential excuses and you know availability of contractors is there you know does it make that much of a difference should we just get it on anyway no if the ph is that low there's no point in ploughing it down at all you know why spend the money and then bury it what you're looking to influence is your file so whatever depth you're ploughing to you know, if it's eight or 10 inches, you know, they, whatever the size of the moldboard, 16 or 20, you know, you've got to, it's the, it's the pro, it's the bit above where you're plowing down. That's the important bit. That's what you're, you're trying to influence. Um, so I would always be putting it on, uh, you know, on the plow. So, so if, again, going back, if, thinking about the fact that time is often an issue and, and lining up these contractors and things and, and genuinely weather. Um, so if it came to it, you would, you know, definitely don't plough it down. Seed bed's ideal. But if the conditions don't allow, just let that establish as well as it can and then just get on as soon as you can after, you know, again, once the ground conditions let you travel on it, would that be what you would be advising? Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's the risk if it's a very low pH. Um, you know, you you would have to question um, trying to reseed it anyway without being able to get the lime on the top. One of the better routes might be to actually, well, this is a really low pH field. I know we'd like to reseed it, but let's put some lime on it while it's still in grass. So it actually works through the profile um, and, you know, reestablishing a healthier soil before we actually uh, plough it up and reseed it because you will get more production out of a, a field that's been uh, re-limed. Yeah, and that's probably, again, it's a, it's a bit about planning and it goes back to probably yes. what you said at the start about, um, you know, making sure you're working around the farm and sampling things so that you you know where those fields are before the plough starts <laughs> you know you know the ph of the field to, to allow you to make that decision rather than um knee-jerk reactions nearer the time so yeah oh definitely Why? i mean and i think you know the the point being is that the fields should all be maintained at the same ph you know they should all be at the target ph and we shouldn't really need to be putting lime on at plowing because we know that the the the, um, the machinery damages um, the heavy machinery that's now used for for spreading damages, um, you know, soil structure mm -hmm. when there's nothing to support it. So, in my book, you know, we've got to change the focus and we've got to have all these fields at the optimised pH. Then we can reseed on on proper decisions, you know, dry matter, low dry matter yield decisions, um, rather than just because it's it's not performing and it's a low pH. It's the wrong, you know, we've got to change things about. We're very much driven by what we've done in the past rather than seeing things differently and doing things differently. Yeah, no, no definitely. And as you say, it's, 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 a, it's a bit of a mindset. And it's, I mean, sometimes seen as an excuse, but genuinely everyone is busy. You know, there's less people on farms these days and it's, it's, it's easy for it to become a job that doesn't get done. But as you say, it's a mindset thing about changing that roundabout. And, putting it higher up the priority list again. Yep. 
Yeah. Well, and I suppose, again, it was one of the very first things that you you said um, was what what would you say to someone who says they can't afford to put lime on? But I think we've, we've probably fairly covered that in terms of, you know, the, the return you're going to get. Is there anything more you would want to well, add I, I would have, I would have, I would, the retort I used to would actually say to that is you, you cannot afford not to lime. I mean, liming should be part, you know, if you've got a budget of, I don't know how many thousand pound a year, your fertilizer bill, you know, make sure that in that budget, there is a, an annual, there's two, I mean, the, the two important things in there that are not included in a fertilizer budget are soil testing and lime. Those two come first, and then the purchase of fertilizer. You know, what the, the, what the trade try and do with us all the time, and you see it from January, sorry, from June, July time, um, you know, right through to the next spring, is they're trying to get you to buy all your nitrogens and your P and Ks early and second guess what's happening. But in reality, all you're doing is what you've always done. So, you know, we're not changing our, the way we do things to improve soil. We're just, you know, if you, you know, madness is, is doing the same thing uh, all the time every year. If you want change, you know, you've got, you've got to, to look at doing things differently. So again, I think um, thinking about these these farms, or thinking about you know, it's, it's very typical. Um, I would say, and, and certainly the area we're in, um, that we've got a large area, and the fields are nowhere near the target, and there's a lot to cover. So it's going to be a big chunk out of the budget that, as you say, maybe hasn't been budgeted for. Um, and, and there's a, on the other hand, well, we will they're willing to spend a lot of money on fertilizer because that's what the sea gives them the growth how confident would you be in in this situation you've got the whole say the whole farm's 5.6 and the figures you're giving me of well you're 48 percent phosphate and you're 11 percent nitrogen that's wasted or not being utilized you know how confident are you in <clears throat> slashing that fertilizer in half to be able to pay for the line is that risky is that still going to impact your yield you know or is, are you not going to see a difference? Are you going to see a bigger benefit from the line by cutting out some of the fertilizer to be able to pay for the line? You're going to see a sense. bigger benefit from the lime. So if, if you could cut, you know, would you cut the nitrogen, for instance? You know, if we said, you know, 11%, I think that was at 5.9, you said. Yeah. 11% um, if your nitrogen is not been used. We could easily cut that nitrogen by 11% and put the lime on. I mean, one thing to remember, uh, resoil is, you know, we often a lot of talk about soil organic matter. Um, um, some of it, you know, it's a slight misconception on people raising organic, high organic matter is a good thing. Well, actually it's not. In a mineral soil, the target is somewhere in the region of five to seven and a half percent. I mean, that's something else to put on a, a soil test as well. It, it's kind of useful information and a useful indicator for, for me personally. Um, because if you start getting organic matter over 10%, you end up with a, a lot of locked up phosphorus, for example. You end up with a lot of locked up micronutrients. So actually by getting the calcium on, in whether it's um, you know dolomitic lime or, or calcium lime, and actually getting the base saturation improved and the, the pH improved, we start to flocculate the soil, we start to break down the organic matter. Organic matter of 5% has the ability when operating aerobically 
to produce somewhere in the region of 100 kilos of nitrogen per annum per hectare. That's, that's free nitrogen, mm-hmm. nitrogen in your system already, which, you're, you know, in a lot of cases, you're not liberating if you've got a, a low pH soil, which is anaerobic. And this is really another topic that, you know, we could spend a lot of time on as well is, is soil health, soil condition. Um, and, you know, the fact that soil needs to operate aerobically. If it's not operating aerobically, it's not operating efficiently. Uh, mm-hmm. And you get a different profile of mineral uptake within the grass, which then affects uh, herd, herd and flock health, which leads to you know more boluses being required because you've you've got a different um, profile of nutrients than they were designed for. Great. So I think I've covered everything I set out to the information to get to get from you. Um, I think we've got some real good take home messages which are, you know, soil sample and, and soil sample more than just the, the routine. So get your calcium, sodium uh, added on as well and maybe look at organic matter too um, and then really get the lime on where it's needed and and don't make any excuses for it. As you say, you can't afford not to put lime on um, and it's it's financially, it's going to financially benefit your business but it's also going to have a, an environmental and a carbon footprint input impact on your business too. Um, so that's that's been really great. I don't know if you've got anything else to add, just final words or? Yeah, I would kind of re-emphasize what you've said in summary, really. Good soil analysis, you know, don't skimp on the analysis. Uh, you know, use it, really do use it as a tool. And if you don't understand it, Get interpretation. You know, it's it's money well spent just to make sure that you know where you're heading and what might be the antagonisms on your farm and, you know, what might be the reasons for some shortages. Um, you know, there are things that can be done. Great. Well, thanks very much, Mark. Thanks for joining us. Um, more information on a range of Climate, environmental, soil and nutrient information is available at the Farm Advisory Service website, which is faz.scot. Thanks very much.